Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I have some of the um, Am I the Asshole situations from okay. Reddit. <laughs> this first one's kind of hard, so... Says, I just got married last week. My wife and I are both in our 30s. I am Mexican and she is American, but we both grew up in the U.S. and both of our families know both languages. My wife planned every bit of the wedding and was very con- a very controlling and nervous bride, uh, but all right, I get that she was stressed. During the reception, I went to the band and asked them to play a song for me to sing to my new wife. Uh, it was a song from our first date in a really bad Mexican restaurant, so it became a long-standing joke between us. The guests really loved the song. My mother-in-law cried and told me it was beautiful, but my bride seemed upset. I asked her what was wrong, and she said I was an asshole for taking the spotlight to enforce my ethnicity and not just sing the ba- or not just let the band sing our song for us. Am I the asshole? No. No. I thought that was kind of cool. I know. And, and like, I I understand a little bit that maybe she was taking it very seriously. And for him to do that as a joke between them, maybe she thought he would. But she was like, you're enforcing your ethnicity on, like, that's, right? That, no, that's not... She totally like overreacted. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. I thought it would be. Cute. I thought I thought it sounded like something really cool that they would remember. Yeah. You know, it made the it made it more um, personal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So no, they are not the asshole. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah, she. I think she overreacted. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, this one is fucking hilarious. Okay, this one's hilarious, and I can see... Odin, no. No martinis for you. He really wants one, I'm telling you. That's why he yelled at you when you didn't bring him a glass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it says, I'm just going to get right to it. Uh, My boyfriend likes to be called daddy in bed while we're being intimate. I'm obliged to this request, but it's starting to creep me out, and I decided that I don't want to do it anymore. He is not happy with this and insists it has nothing to do with the connotation of the word. It just, he enjoys simply hearing me say it. Since he wasn't budging on the issue, I told him I'd like for him to call me grandma in bed as a compromise. He didn't like this option and said it was giving him visuals he would prefer not to have. I'm like, join the fucking club. Anyway, the last time he tried to be intimate with me, I started to refer to myself as Grandma in the third person. Do you like when Grandma does that? Etc. He flew off the handle, said I ruined the mood, made him feel gross, and I was being ridiculous. I think I proved my point, but he thinks I'm being an asshole. Okay. Come on. How? Okay. First of all, how can you not see what she was trying to do? Exactly. And second of all, 
Why can't you just compromise? Like, I think it has something to do with not like he thinks he wants her to think of him as her daddy. No. I don't know how to explain it. I understand what you're trying to say, though. Like, it's... Like, almost like, yeah, or almost kind of like submission. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So why can't they, yes, why can't they come up with something that's not daddy, but something that's like. Because he won't budge. She, she told him, this is making me uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And he won't budge. It's, he's not making a compromise whatsoever. Well, then fuck him. Exactly. Exactly. And he obviously did not get the point when she pointed it out to him very clearly. That's a male thing. Oh, I totally see myself doing something like that. Like, you have, <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. Like, that was perfect. It was. Perfect. I mean, you couldn't have gotten your point across any better. Exactly. <laughs> that's just, that's hilarious. <laughs> Fights are a common occurrence. 
I feel awful for ruining her proposal and potentially ruining her, ruining her relationship. Cassie has been picking herself up in front of me and continuing to be great with last-minute-to-dos, but I've caught her crying while I'm not around. I love her, and I don't want her to resent me for this. So I need to know if I'm the asshole and if there's anything I can do to fix it. Okay, I was getting a little bit confused in there. So, Sophie is the best friend. No, Sophie is the best friend's girlfriend. Cassie is her best friend, and Sophie is Cassie's girlfriend. And which one asked if she could propose during? Sophie. Which is? The girlfriend. Okay. Okay, that's fucking rude. Yeah. So. Why would she even think that would be okay? I don't know. Pick your own time. I know. Some people do that, though. Some people, like, allow it to happen at their receptions or whatever. Like, But, I mean, again, if you talk to someone and they are not comfortable, let it go. Yeah. Period. That's it. They, I mean, you know, why are you asking in the first place? Exactly. Like, I, so, I, the way, like... If these huge fights happen all the time, like, yeah, she needs to just run. Yeah, it's, she does. It's not going to work yeah. anyway. So. so, no, she was not being that. No, I don't think so either. Okay. Next one, I crochet as a hobby. I started doing it about six or seven years ago to help cope with my anxiety. Over time, I've become pretty good at it and have done a few commissions for small things. I recently opened my own website where I post my pattern and tips for free. Sometimes I'll sell things on there I've made that I wouldn't keep or give away, but in general, I don't actively sell my stuff. I have a friend, Lynn, who is always asking me to make her stuff. I've made her a scarf and a hat set, and I gifted her a baby blanket for her rainbow baby, all which have been free. She asked me to make more complicated stuff for her, like cardigans and complex blankets, which I always say no to because as much as I love Lynn, she's very demanding and I do this for fun. I enjoy giving her gifts, but I don't feel obliged. It takes me a while to finish complex things and I know she wouldn't be okay waiting more than like a week. Recently, I posted a patchwork cardigan I made and Lynn texted me asking me to make one for her. I said no because it took me a month to finish and I had other things I wanted to make. She asked me if she paid for it, if I would make it for her. I told her that based on the cost of materials and hourly wage for skilled labor, it would cost $400. She said that was ridiculous and there's no way that a cardigan would be worth $400. I told her I agree, that's why I usually don't take commissions and would rather give my stuff away that I make. She told me I was being greedy. Realistically, if I took the commission for this cardigan, I'd charge like $75 three times the cost of materials and give it a two-month timeline, but I wanted to deter her from asking again. So am I the asshole for quoting such a high price? <laughs> no? I don't think so. No. Just because you like to do something doesn't mean... That doesn't give her the... the authority to like oh you make this we make this but no. yeah yeah no. that and and i know this from experience i like <laughs> to do crafting yeah i like to do what i want to do yeah and when you know when me and chris started doing our crafts and stuff it started being too demanding and i and i lost interest in it yeah because i wasn't doing what i wanted to do 
I mean, I was still doing what I wanted to do, but I also was doing stuff that I didn't want to do. Well, you, you like, part of it is making up the patterns and stuff for you, right? Yeah. Like you wanted to do the style that you wanted to do it in. Yeah. And you were, it, it started to feel like a job. Yes. If you don't enjoy it. Exactly. Then, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there were starting to be time limits and, you know, and I don't, Yeah, I'm not into that. Yeah. So, I get that. Yeah. I get it. Me too. I don't think she's being an asshole. No, not at all. Especially if someone like, I don't, I don't like when people demand things like that. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, you can't just ask me, just because you ask doesn't mean, you know. It's like if someone rings your doorbell, you don't have to answer the freaking door, you know? Like, and, and then another little thing in there, she, so what, she's demanding these things and she's not even offering to pay I know. for the like, materials? Yeah. Because she asked for the cardigan and then when she said no, she's like, well, if I pay you, it's like, what, she expected yeah. to do it and not pay for it? It's That's what it sounds like, yeah. It's like... Does she think these materials are, you know, free or something? And like, did they just magically put themselves together? Yeah. It takes a lot of oh, time. Oh, yes. I can't even imagine crocheting yeah, a, no. a cardigan. Yeah, no. Or like a complex thing. Like, no, that's that's a lot. And that's a lot of like wear on your hands. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's a lot. So, yeah, $400 yeah. for a handmade yeah. crocheted cardigan is not unreasonable to me. I wouldn't pay for that. No. Okay, next one. Okay, I and a friend have kids the same age. We recently did a girls' beach trip. I left my child at home with my husband for the first time, so for the first time in two years, I was child-free. My husband does what he can regarding our kid and does a lot, but it's gone to work a lot. So I've never been apart from my kid for more than a few hours before someone says, I have husband issues. That isn't the the, the issue here. My friend brought her child, which no one in the group had a problem with at all, except my friend has a habit of letting or rather forcing others to watch slash parent her kid. Mm -hmm. Every time we hang out, she kind of checks out, goes on her phone or wanders off and sort of dumps her kids on the friend group. Well, on this beach trip, overnight, she did just that to me. Now, remember, this is the first time in a long time that I've been kid-free, and here she is dumping her kid on me. Her kid is asking me to play with them, walk with them, you know, kid stuff, and I just want a break. But here my friend is, playing on her phone, just totally checked out. I try to redirect her kid back to her, saying, oh, you should ask your mom to play. To which she says, without missing a beat, no, you have more patience for kids uh, anyway, and you play with him. Mm, nope. My blood fucking boiled, and I explained to her that I left my kid at home because I wa- wanted to be kid-free for the night and not babysit hers. She rolled her eyes, and I lost it. I told her to stop being lazy and watch her own kid. Of course she was pissed, but, but the rest of the group had my back. But my friend was so angry, I can't help but feel I was in the wrong. Hell no. 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 That is bullshit. No. Yeah. You don't do that. You don't do that. That's just so wrong. And then to make someone feel that, oh, no, 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 no. I hate people. And then, okay, you're better at kids. Then why do you have a fucking kid? Seriously. 
What yeah. the fuck? You have more patience with my child? No. No, that's not cool. These <laughs> people are stupid. Yeah. Uh, next one. My family does a gift exchange drawing each year for Christmas. We all reach into a bowl and pull out a name on a slip of paper. That is the person for whom they are to buy a gift for uh, the big Christmas get-together. I honestly hate this ritual as it is a bundle of stress to find anything for someone you barely know, but we do it because the family always has. In 2019, I drew the 60-year-old husband of my great-aunt. I knew he and my great-aunt were very well off and really, really neither wanted nor needed anything. I knew also that the budget we had for gifts of $50 max was not going to get him anything within his or her taste level. Since he did a lot of driving for his work, I found him a rather expensive set of tools to keep in his car trunk should he need that. He opened them during the party, seemed appreciative, and thanked me. This past Christmas, I saw my gift from my aunt. When I opened it, I immediately recognized the tool set I had given him three years before. Even the tape I had put on the part of the torn label was there. I paused, broke into a big smile, and excitedly explained that this was incredible, as when I bought her husband a set three years ago, I had wanted to get a set for myself as well. But the store had told me the set was discontinued and no longer available. I guessed, I guessed that she must have gone to a lot of trouble to find, find one, just like the one I gave him three years ago. Yes, I mentioned giving him this set of said three years ago, <laughs> I then made a big show of running over, hugging her, and saying thank you. She and he just had odd smiles frozen on their face. See, my great aunt has a reputation whispered behind her back of being incredibly cheap and regifting most of what she receives. All the relatives had just witnessed me give a big production out of this one instance. My mom later took me aside to, and chastised me for what I did as my great aunt was visibly embarrassed <laughs> and had left the room very soon after the gift exchange. I had just looked at her and innocently asked what I did wrong by thanking her for a gift I really wanted. So was I out of line? <laughs> I don't know. Because, I mean, who hasn't regifted something? You know? Yeah. They're not going to remember who gave it Obvious. They did do that. Just not not an in your face kind of way. Well, it was still in your well, face. Yeah, so it wasn't right. it was just worded differently, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. That one's a tough one. Uh, that's funny. Because I get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It was freaking hilarious too, so <laughs> I don't know. Should I do one more or should I? And those are mine for the week. All right. This week, 
and did ghost stories and creepy legends from the Arctic Circle. Oh, I better get my reading glasses. Hand me my reading glasses. All right. The cargo ship Octavius met its demise in 1761 after leaving China and setting sail for Britain via the Northwest Passage. No ship had ever successfully navigated the Northwest Passage at the time. The Octavius disappeared, proving it was no exception. A whaling ship came upon the damaged remains of Octavius on October 11, 1775, boarding it to look for survivors and cargo. When the whalers ventured into the below-deck quarters, they found the ship's captain frozen at his desk, mid-entry in the ship's log. The rest of the crew were similarly, similarly, similarly encased in ice throughout their rooms. The whalers snatched up the ship log and fled the Octavius, leaving behind all, including the first and last entries, which were unyieldingly stuck to the captain's frozen desk. Um, the log revealed that the Arctic temperatures and ice captured the Octavius 250 miles from Barrow, AK. Is that Alaska? I think so, yeah. Where all those aboard perished on November 11, 1762. The whalers, however, found the boat near Greenland, meaning it somehow made its way through the Northwest Passage, even with its crew frozen solid. Weird. You think it would have drifted? I, it must have. Hmm. On March 15, 1853, fur trader Augustus Richard Pierce passed while working as a post manager for the Hudson Bay Company's Fort McPherson. It was known that Pierce wished for his remains to be interred at any location other than Fort McPherson. His supervisor, Robert McFarlane, ignored that wish and buried him in the same place where he passed. Around December 1859, McFarlane received prompting from Pierce's widow to dig Pierce up and relocate his body. After finishing a sturdier coffin to securely transport the body, workers unearthed Piers and found him looking much as he did during his life, free of six years' worth of decay and decomposition. The group was unnerved. Traveling via dog sled, the team began their journey with Piers to Fort Good Hope, 300 miles from Fort McPherson. On March 21, 1860, Piers and his transportation made it to Fort Good Hope, but not without incident. Six days before reaching their destination, they heard a voice conspicuously reminiscent of that of the departed, warning of approaching wolves. Three days later, the voice spoke out again in McFarland's encampment, alerting the crew of a wolverine supposedly intending harm on the in-transit body. Two days after arrival, Pierce found his final resting place while McFarland prepared to return to Fort McPherson. At one point, McFarlane recalled feeling the spirit of Pierce surround him. Later that night, McFarlane awoke to find the ghost of Pierce staring at him and his roommate as they slept. Both men saw Pierce before them, but covered their heads and tried to will the specter away instead of daring to interact with it. Hmm. That's strange. Yeah. The SS Bechimo was built of steel and powered by steam in 1914 Sweden. Weighing more than 1,300 tons, the ship took cargo from Sweden to Germany and back again until World War I, when it was sent to the Hudson's Bay Company in Scotland. The ship once again carried trade goods across the ocean, but to Canada and Alaska instead of Europe. 
On October 1st, 1931, the Big Chemo was caught in a perilous storm as it sailed for British Columbia. As the vessel became trapped in ice, the captain and crew evacuated to wait out the storm in nearby Barrow, Alaska, before relocating to a frosty outcropping closer to the ship. They waited for the Big Chemo, alternately trapped in ice or drifting at sea, until October 15th when Hudson's Bay Company rescued 22 crew members. The remaining captain and sailors stubbornly refused to abandon their ship. They stayed in their camp, subsisting on supplies from their employer until November 24th, when Big Chemo disappeared from view. But the vessel considered lost, and Inuit spotted it in the ice 45 miles from its last known location. The ship, badly damaged by the winter, was boarded by the captain and crew to retrieve the more expensive cargo, and then left, this, left to sink in the ocean. Instead of sinking, the Bechimo became a spectral legend of the North Atlantic, spotted in the waters repeatedly over the years, with the ship avoiding most would-be explorers with the deafness of a, manual, of a manned vessel. Those who managed to board the cursed ship find themselves surrounded by ice flows, seemingly summoned by Big Chimo itself, unable to collect any cargo still on board. 1933, a group of Inuit scavengers got trapped on the ship for 10 days while a frigid storm raged around the ship. Last spotted in 1969, the Big Chimo is assumed wrecked and resting on the bottom of the Atlantic, although there are no plans to prove it with a diving expedition. Mm. That's weird. Mm-hmm. So it just kept sailing? Yeah, that's what it sounds like every time they tried to do anything, it, something would happen. It's weird. <laughs> a man named William shared an encounter that transpired when he and a cousin chose to camp and fish near a lake said by elders to be filled with bad spirits. After reaching the spot and setting up camp, the two men had a few drinks while sitting by their fire. All of a sudden, William's cousin lunged at him and attempted to start a fight. William fought him off but noticed the light of the fire illuminated the outline of two shadowy, raven-like wings on the cousin's back. Throughout the night, the cousin's eyes remained completely black as he tried time and time again to harm William, even attempting to lure him into the lake to drown him. With the help of his dog and with the defensive measure taught to him by his grandmother firmly in mind, William fought off the possessed cousin repeatedly. He called on all his ancestors that shared his name to assist him in keeping the evil spirit within his cousin at bay, while his dog alerted him to incoming strikes and kept the man beside the blazing fire. When the sun rose, William ran back to his village. His cousin's wife asked what happened, and her husband had returned muttering about seeing something by the lake. The conversation with his mother led William to believe that a spirit known as Evil Raven inhabited his cousin's body. He determined his cousin's late father accidentally brought the spirit back with him after visiting another curse location alone, leaving Evil Raven free to attach itself to the son after the father passed. Hmm. So them not believing in curses really backfired on them. <laughs> Both the son and the dad. Yeah. Jeez. In November 1930, a Canadian reporter named Emmett E. Kelleher wrote a piece about a trapper named Joe LaBelle, who discovered a ghost town in Lake Nijikuni, hundreds of kilometers from civilization in Manitoba, Canada. LaBelle stumbled upon this supposed village and found it empty of all human life. 
with only two starving pesky dogs in residence. Lavelle claimed to see abandoned tents made of animal hides, seven dog cadavers, multiple warm coats, and other signs of previous tents in the encampment. There was no trace of human remains, but Lavelle said a traditional grave covered in stones was disturbed. Lavelle wandered the area for an afternoon, noting that while nothing showed signs of a fight, there was something in the air. After feeding two freshly caught fish to the dogs, Lavelle returned to civilization to share his tale about the village. And his inkling had an evil spirit named Tarmrock. They even had a hand in its demise. Hmm. Another one where they just disappeared? Yeah, that must be why I thought we already did it, because it sounded very familiar. Yeah. But I think I was thinking of... Uh, Roanoke? Roanoke, and then the, the other one, the Inuit. Oh, yeah. Village. Yeah, that could have been the same. Mm-hmm. So here's another one that's... I'm assuming it's Alaska. It's AK. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah. Located in central Alaska, the Arctic Circle Hot Springs Resort is the site of a 400 gallons per minute hot spring of crystal clear water first discovered by a prospector in the 1890s. By 1918, Franklin Leach gained ownership of the spring and patented it, with 320 acres of land surrounding it. Leach and his wife expanded the property to a resort with gardens and a restaurant and made various upgrades over the years until Leach's passing in 1955. Robert and Laverna Miller bought the estate in 1980 and kept the resort open until 2002 when financial setbacks forced the business to close. While the history of the location is rich already, the creepy encounters reported by staff and visitors only add to the intrigue. The third floor library is supposedly home to a female ghost that runs the premises. A staff of kitchen workers under the Millers heard repeated whistling noises they couldn't account for, even after following the sound outside the resort into the surrounding acreage. On another occasion, a teacher from California visited and recorded an attempt to contact the late Mrs. Leach from the fourth floor. He caught doors opening and closing on their own and described feeling the presence of Mrs. Leach around him. Laverna Miller saw chandeliers in the hotel swinging without the aid of wind and shared other accounts from visitors who heard unexplained footsteps on the stairs during their stay. Averse to changes to the building, the spirits are allegedly more active during construction and enjoy moving objects or even bringing paintings on the wall to life. In 2012, a Travel Channel ghost hunting series visited the resort. That's super creepy. Couldn't imagine seeing a painting move. That's like Harry Potter. Yeah, well, without thinking I was fucking up. (laughs) Yeah. I would probably immediately commit myself. That's all painting move. Hell no. That'd be so creepy. I would probably immediately take it off the wall and throw it outside. I would think it was in my head 100%. I would think there's no possible way that painting just actually moved. Like, I would, I would be very concerned for my mental health. I wonder how it moved though. Like, if you look at it, where was it moving? Or like out of the corner, like you pass it, now the corner of your eye, it looks like it moves. And then when you look at it, it doesn't. That you would know be, what? Yeah. What was it? Yeah, <laughs> that would be so creepy though. Yeah, either way would be creepy, mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I was thinking like in Harry Potter when they look at it like it's just moving, like mm-hmm. like, a, like a movie. Yeah. Usually though, if it's like ghostly or whatever, it's not that like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tolkien, Alaska is a small town with the haunted Fairview Inn within its city limits. Built in 1923, the Homey Inn once played host President Warren G. Harding in an extramarital affair. Soon after his illicit stay in the hotel, Harding suffered a heart attack. The room he occupied at the time has since been labeled cursed. The walls of the Fairview Inn bear photographs of departed townspeople. Many believe the ghosts haunting the hotel are or were among them. Rocky Cummins worked in the town as a miner and trapper. In his spare time, he liked to party. Jim Schaaf had ties to the military through his work and enjoyed gardening, as well as hanging out with Cummins. The duo was thought to be behind both the random flushing of toilets and guest rooms and the mysterious faucets that turn themselves on when no one is around. Many also suspect Cummins and Schaaf lock doors on guests, throw around beer cans and napkins, and generally make merry in the haunted room, room one, where the pair hung out during their lifetimes. Clowning sounds, rattling doorknobs, and creaky footsteps on the floorboards can be heard in the haunted room. Visitors have reported seeing apparitions in the halls while making their way between rooms, despite the end being presumptively unoccupied. That's so creepy. It just is. Listen to the title of this one. A strange cloud warned a woman about a grizzly bear. Oh. (laughs) A woman known as Mary Jane told YouTube channel Xeno Hunters about a strange experience from her youth. She and a friend set out to find berry bushes to pick salmon berries when they came upon a hill along their path. They were greeted by an elderly couple. The couple warned the girls that a grizzly bear was prowling the road on the other side of the hill. After checking for signs of the supposed animal, the girls decided to walk over the hill and down to the road. Once over the hill, Mary Jane and her friend began to pick berries, checking every few minutes for the grizzly. After her companion wandered away, Mary Jane noticed a long white cloud hovering above and seemingly following her. Just 30 feet over her head, emerging from the cloud were the voices of two elderly women frightening Mary Jane and prompting her to check her surroundings. That's when she finally found the grizzly bear, working on the carcass of a reindeer and paying her no mind. Mary Jane raced back up and over the hill to safety. So it's not only a clown, but it's two old ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Two old ladies in a cloud watching out for someone. That is weird. That is very weird. Never heard anything like that. And that's all I got. I all really right. like those stories. <laughs> they were creepy. Okay, I did people who have premonitions that came true for sharing. Cool. First one, when I was a young girl, I had a dream. My mom fell down the elevator shaft in our building and died. When I was a teen, we had recently gotten a dog, even though we were not supposed to have dogs in the building. She went out to take the dog for a walk and came back almost as soon as she left. I asked her what happened, and she told me the dog saved her life. She said she went to get in the elevator, even though it was dark in the interior, because she thought it was kids breaking the lights again. She went to step inside and could not understand why the dog kept pulling her back. 
She turned and told the dog to come, but the dog would not budge. She turned again to look to see what the issue was and saw there was no elevator at all. It was just wires. If she had not had the dog, she would have stepped into the space and fallen seven stories. It's one of the most intense premonitions I've ever had. It was also the one, the shortest amount of time between the premonition and the actual occurrence. I had gone to bed on the night of Wednesday, November 1st, 2017, like any other night. However, into the early hours of the next day, Thursday, November 2nd, 2017, between 4 and 5 a.m., I had a disturbing premonition. My older brother's car was parked in our parents' driveway. It was not moving, but the car was turned on, and only his four children were sitting in the vehicle. Right off the bat, it was odd because they were behaving as if they were on the road. It looked as if they were all playing pretend. They were playing around and goofing off as they usually do, but instead of going up to the vehicle, happy to see them, I hadn't seen them for a few weeks, I walked up to the outside of the car very concerned. I began banging on the windows of the right side of the vehicle, specifically the back passenger side of the car. I was aggressively banging on the window, asking the children, would you please get out of the car? They became aware of me, but kept on with their casual, silly behavior. The eldest child said that he didn't want to come out, but the second oldest leaned over to the youngest child to look at me through the window and agreed to come out. Before they could exit the vehicle, my dream quickly shifted, and now I was standing in the middle of an unknown road, hugging a house, the housekeeper I had grown up with. She was an extremely sweet woman from a much older generation, but in the dream, she was stronger than ever. Her spirit and physical form were enhanced, which I thought was odd. After the hug, I abruptly woke up from the dream. Although the hugging moment in the second sequence of my dream was sweet, I was still very concerned for my brother and his children. At 8.30 a.m., I texted him and told him the strange dream in detail. He immediately replied back, informing me that his children had gotten into a car wreck that morning, November 2nd, 2017, riding with their mother on their way to school. The car had been totaled, and the youngest child had received a bloody nose, but there was no other physical damage. I believe the housekeeper had a purpose in the dream, and my husband was thanking her for watching over my family that day. Interesting. <laughs> Next one, I had the same dream over and over again. The, a psychic once told me that I was from the days of Atlantis in one life, and in another, I burned up as a little girl. Driving to Sacramento, I saw the house that I had dreamed about. I stopped, and it turned out that there was an older woman and man that lived there. I explained that I had seen the house in my dreams, and they showed it to me. I did not know how or when, but I had been in that house and played on those stairs. My parents had never even been to that town. The people told me their little girl died in the fire at six years old. I haven't had another dream about the house now that I've seen it. Ooh, I got chills on that one. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Next one, once I woke up from a dream, I swore I could hear someone yelling my name. As I lay in the bed half asleep, I looked toward the door. Standing in the doorway was an ethereal-looking vision of my brother. He was grayed out and looked lifeless except for his eyes, which were glowing red. My heart began to race, and that's when I actually woke up. I lay in bed for the next several minutes, staring at my door with nothing there. 
dream felt so real and my heart was pounding in my chest. Fast forward a few weeks, I was in my room playing video games after work, as usual, with my headphones on. I started to hear a faint noise that sounded like someone calling my name. I took off the headphones and I could hear it coming from my door. I got up and opened the door and lying on the floor was my brother. He was begging me to take him to the hospital because he thought he was having a heart attack. I got him in the car and rushed him to the nearest hospital. Luckily, it wasn't a heart attack, and he has since recovered and in very good physical health. I didn't make the connection between the events until a few weeks later. I wonder if the dream was trying to warn me about my brother needing my help, or if it was just a mere coincidence. <laughs> Who knows? Next one, I had a dream that my grandfather had cancer. I called my mom and told her about it, and she told me my grandmother had just, or my grandfather had just been diagnosed with kidney cancer. Another time, I was watching TV with my then boyfriend. His phone rang, and he said, "I'm going to answer this. It's my dad." And went to leave the room. I replied, "You should stay here and answer that." He asked why, and I said, "Because your grandma died." Without taking my eyes off the TV, his father was in fact calling him to tell him his grandmother had passed away. That's weird. That's kind of rude, too. <laughs> Next one, when I was in middle school, I had a dream in which I was sitting in an empty classroom with a test that had already been filled out. I looked through the test answers, then woke up. About a week later, we were given that exact test in class. I finished the test in about five minutes. I double-checked all the answers because I recognized them from the dream, but I wasn't sure that I was remembering them right. It turns out that the test in the dream was exactly right, and I got a 100. The teacher then even asked me how I finished it so quickly. Unfortunately, I can't remember her reaction when I explained I had seen it in a dream. That would be so convenient. That would be super convenient, but it almost sounds like she had, like she cheated. Yeah. <laughs> she already had the answers somehow. No, but... Uh, next one. Christmas night, 2004. I had a nightmare I can still remember so vividly. I woke up in the night absolutely, absolutely convinced the world was ending and something horrific was happening. I had visions of a disaster on a huge scale involving water. I screamed, I screamed and can remember being awake but still in a terrified state. The next morning, we woke to the news of the Indian Ocean tsunami. Next one, my daughter's... No. My friend's daughter had a genetic disorder, and we have always said that she was a special issue... No. That she has a special sense because of her medical issues. There have been many examples, but the most prominent was last summer when she was four. She pointed at my stomach and said I was having a baby. My husband and I were secretly trying for a baby but I had tested negative earlier that day. Two days later, I had a positive pregnancy test. She predicted my second pregnancy as well. Ooh. That's crazy. Yeah. Next one, I started working at my city newspaper after being fired from another job. On my first day, I noticed a very tall, handsome man who worked on my floor. After being there for some time and making friends, I started referring to him as my future husband. My friends all laughed because he was super shy and introverted, and they thought there was no way he would go for someone as wild as me. Turns out I knew the moment I saw him. We've been married for eight years, and we have two beautiful children 
and a very successful life together. <laughs> Next one, I used to meditate a lot. A lot, a lot. I started for 20 minutes a day, then progressed to 30, then to an hour a day. Soon I was meditating two hours twice a day, sometimes all day. Well, after about four months of this, I started having deja vu a lot. One day, it was very creepy. I had deja vu for like two or three minutes straight, and I predicted everything that was going to happen before it happened. For example, sitting in the living room with no view of the kitchen, I predicted my mother in the kitchen dropping something. Then I predicted my dad and brother walking in while my dad laughed at a joke my brother told him. I predicted my sister was walking out of her room to tell us something cool and a few other things. It was extremely creepy. I stopped meditating after that. Hmm. Interesting. That was very interesting. And the last one. I was in bed taking a nap around 2 p.m. one day. I had a very realistic dream about being at my mother's house visiting her. My mother lived only a couple miles away, so it wasn't really far. In the dream, I was sitting on the couch talking and visiting with her. She had a live-in boyfriend at the time. My mother's boyfriend started to come down her hallway toward the room we were in. When he saw me, he asked what I was doing over. Right at that moment, I felt a pulling and woke up at home in bed. I sat there for a moment, a moment thinking that was the weirdest, most lifelike dream I had ever had. After a couple of minutes of me trying to wrap my head around what had just happened, the phone rang. It was my mom asking where I'd gone. She said one minute we were in the living room talking, and the next minute I was gone. Her boyfriend had seen the same thing, and I heard him in the background asking where I was as well. Uh, what? I would say astral projection, but usually people can't see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's weird. That is weird. Huh. Alright. That was it? That was it for the week. I'll probably do the rest of these next week. Alright. Well, I guess it's time for the winning update. Did funny tweets. My toddler loves pizza and loves bagels, so I figured I'd notch an easy win and make him his first pizza bagel. And holy shit, I've never been so wrong in my life. <laughs> <laughs> One of the moms at school picked up always yells, "Hi, chicken nugget!" to her kid. To her kid, and that's a level of parental embarrassment I can only aspire to. <laughs> my kid. It's not fair. You get to do whatever you want. Me, who just finished scrubbing the dog's vomit off the carpet and is now cooking dinner for the family. Heck yeah. yeah they just don't. Yes. Totally relate to that. <laughs> Helpful literary criticism for my sixth grader. If, the, if there's a dog on the cover and the book has won an award, I won't read it because the dog definitely dies. Yeah. Yeah. Mommy, look, it's a boy elephant. I can see his penis. <laughs> My six-year-old yells to me at uh, and about 50 complete strangers. <laughs> I can't read these stairs. I had a hard time, too. My son is asking the three-year-old if he can eat the rest of her ice cream when she's full, and she's screaming, I will never be full. She will rule the world someday. <laughs> Kids at bedtime are like a nine-page food blog for a simple ramen. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. The 13-year-old has no word of a lie, made a 23-slide PowerPoint presentation on why we should let her have a tortoise and exactly what it would involve. 
releasing demons into the world. <laughs> My kid came in at 1 a.m. and said, did I wake you? And I said, no, I had to get up to put you back to bed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My kid would like me to make her a turkey sandwich, but not with the turkey that can fly, with the turkey that's a circle. What? Oh, the... Oh. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Nobody warns you that when you have kids that you suddenly become an event planner. Mm-hmm. Daycare sent a note today that my baby tried to bite someone else and accidentally bit herself. She's just like me, for real. 13-year-olds be like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through, and it's just breaking up with their boyfriend for three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's all been over text and they're crying about it <laughs> so different now I know it totally is my six year old getting on an elevator daddy I don't need to hold the railing from this day forward I'm a man <laughs> ten year old I don't like to tuck my shirt into my pants, but if you don't tuck your shirt into your pants, does that mean you're tucking your pants into your shirt? <laughs> Me. <laughs> my five-year-old in our soccer game. Did we fight these kids already? Yep, we played this team before. <laughs> before kids, my kids will eat what I give them. Two kids in. What do you want for lunch? A bowl of ketchup with a side of melted ice cream? Okay, here you go. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Raising kids means saving them from drowning, choking, and other forms of certain death, so one day they can look at you with a straight face and ask, why don't you just let me live my life? Oh my god. <laughs> Feel that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Six-year-old, why do all the best foods have the letter G in it? Gummy bears, eggs, tacos. <laughs> I could go for some tacos right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> My son had a party invite to a bowling place slash arcade and was totally mortified when we decided to stay and play with his sister during that time. We weren't even in the same room. Teens are fun. Emotional support snackies. Me as a therapist. It's like our emotional support toothpick. Yeah. <laughs> this is my last one. There comes a point in every parent's life when they notice the soap and shampoo they bought for their kids isn't getting used up nearly as quickly as it should be. <laughs> and that's all I got. Alright, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we need your stories. You can email us at ghoulsnightoutpodcast at gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook, request to join the group, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen, and we will talk to you next week. Later. Bye.